Listen, if you dare, to the Lovecraft Tapes. Welcome to the Lovecraft Tapes podcast. This is Case 15, The Crosses. I am Jeremy, Keeper of Arcane Lore, and we play Call of Cthulhu, a role-playing game filled with cosmic horror, existential dread, and Taco Bell fire sauce squirted directly into your eyeballs for only 50 cents extra. Does it have to be the eyeballs? Can I can I choose a different place? Your investigators of the unknown are Brian as Ben. Hi, I'm Ben. Matt as Kyle. Hi, I'm Dad. And Lupine as Rosa. I'm Rosa. Question mark? Well, welcome, players. Tonight, we will be answering questions regarding the podcast in our recently completed scenario. Spoiler alert, we will discuss all the nitty-gritty details of this adventure, so if you haven't listened yet, you may want to go back and start at Case 15 Tape 1 Prologue before listening to the rest of this episode. You have been warned. Uh, Listeners, if you would like to drop us a letter from beyond, please... Visit lovecrafttapes.com anytime and fill out our contact form. We accept thoughtful criticism, thirsty praise, and even non-Euclidean pizza with cosmic horror pineapple on it. Extra shrooms. Also, a gentle reminder that if you would like to chat with us in real time, join our Discord server at discord.lovecrafttapes.com today and watch Lupine swing from the trapeze at the center of the big top with the greatest of ease. This show is brought to you in part by our generous fans and supporters on patreon.com slash Lovecraft Tapes. So thank you to Lars Serge Mulvad, Luke Corbin, Eric Hansen, Oritako, Rich Pogue, James Mayo, Kiei, The Bookish Couple, John Caballero, Ryan Hill, Reaper Jones, Sean McConnell, Poppy Mama, Jeff Howie, Jordy Rose, Barry Robeson, The Frilled Shark, Atulia, Brownie Davis, John Scarcella, Little Rowan Plays, Huge Pie, Prophet of Woe, Chris Parker, Amanda Power, Elizabeth Grieve, Kyle Sherman, Horse Draper, Ripley Iwin, Discordiant, Dom Driver, Andrew Petty, David Winterman, Phoenix Black, Ineptus Astartus, Eric Zane, Liz Moonberry, Malambra 57, Matthew, Stephen Gregory, Kevin C., Daniel Caprone, Chainsaw Unicorn, Captain Vashton, Jefferson Bell, Robert Jameson, Eric Phillips, Olda, Polkert, Mitch L., Shelley DM, Boston Harbor Horror Presents, Ruined Ashes, Snow, Peter VDB, Some Dude, Shane Stoley, Brindle Stubbs, J.R., J. Clark, James Brown, Botran, Davinia Von Zarevich, Frank Delventhal, Jehovah's Thickness, Steve L., I Got Walls and Roof, Phil Campbell, Flix Capacitator, Justin Levesque, Jeffrey Young, Robert Lamb, Marty Dixon, Holden Omans, Mick Cope, Kevin G., John Konopasik, Nicholas Hutto, A.E. Jonesy, Sarah and the Wizard of Glass, Benjamin King, Bifford, Rolling Boxcars, Sarah Wiley, Smeg Miss Grundle Gunge, Tomas. Thanks, guys. Appreciate all that. Woo! I know people. Now, dear investigators, we recap Case 15, The Crosses. Previously on the Lovecraft Tapes. Ben, Rosa, and Kyle thought their summer vacation would be filled with laughter, adventure, and preparation for their first year of high school in the fall. Unbeknownst to anyone, an ancient stone of questionable origins surfaced in the woods near the local hot springs in Las Cruces, seeding an infection which spread to the surrounding flora and fauna, then on to the citizenry. Our young investigators scrambled desperately to find a solution to the outbreak without realizing the insidious enemy had already infiltrated their ranks.
All right, guys, let's A some cues. Uh, we will also be monitoring live chat for any last minute questions. So if something comes up, feel free to throw us some curveballs there and we'll do our best to take a swing at them. I will monitor chat for any late submissions. John Scarcella asks, when Kyle got fungus cloned, why did his duplicate continue to help the group when the other replacements like Uncle John were out to get them? My thought was that maybe it really was him, but but it was he got severed from the clone that was starting to form, and it was still taking him over, but really slowly enough for him to remain himself until it was too late. I sort of had John Carpenter's The Thing in mind. So what The Thing wants to do is it wants to infiltrate the group without giving away its identity. So I think ultimately that's what the Kyle clone was attempting to do. When you think about uh, Uncle John was out to get them, well, not really. He just sort of wanted to get Kyle. So it was a one-on-one situation. In that, and as we know in John Carpenter's The Thing, they always want to try to get in a room with just one other person. So that was the genesis of all that, just roughly speaking. I didn't have exactly John Carpenter's The Thing in mind, but it was that sort of intention that I thought made the most sense. I like it. I I knew there was going to be some confusion about why would Kyle continue to go along with the whole thing. But I paid very careful attention as to when he was handling the myconazole powder. Okay. And uh, the NPCs would step in and make sure that he wasn't handling it. Oh, okay. That makes sense. There was opportunity for Kyle to do something stupid. I tried several times, but yeah. It didn't really happen. When you were like, I'll carry both things. But in the event that something would have happened and it had gotten on him, it would have been revealed. Obviously, I didn't have anything written for the ultimate thing, what happened to him, until we were to that point in the very last episode. John, I hope that answers your question. Brian, do you have a question for Lupine? Two-part question. How was your first experience working with the Lovecraft tapes? And how much do we have to pay you to stay? I found everyone really welcoming and it was really great. Um, I was nervous that people would tend to see me as coming in and taking over something that had already happened. But I really uh, appreciate all the support that I've gotten from you guys and from the community. It made me feel like I'd found a new family. And how much? How much? About Tree Fitty. I like stickers. Stickers are good. I just came across, uh, you know, how Google pops up your memories from five years ago. It was a picture of a back of a box and our sticker was on it. And it was in the photos of when we went to Ireland. The Lovecraft tapes, what's this? What the fuck is the Lovecraft tapes? And why are they putting their damn stickers all over our castles, eh? Brian and Jeremy running in the background. <laughs> Giggling. <laughs> Prophet of Woe wants to know, what, if any, was the decision to run as youngsters in this case? How did it affect your decision making? Do you think it added more difficulty or tension? As for the first part of that question, was it me that wanted to do it? I'm pretty sure it was your idea. Yep, to start young. Because the innocence and the wonder of the world, you can everything is new and shiny. We went through the gauntlet of having Delta Green agents or FBI agents or whatever, you know, like people who uh, had baggage and, and that's fun to play too, but... I just kind of wanted to go a different direction, and I was sort of like in a Spielberg mood. I thought, 
what if we just did something that was pretty uh, like teenagers? But, you know, we, I, I wanted to avoid the whole Stranger Things comparison because I was not trying to go that route. I was really actually kind of nervous when you told me <laughs> that we were playing kids. And I usually avoid playing children in any game I play just because there's a lot of things that you can't do with them that you can do with adults. And then the other thing is I have a lot of trouble separating my cynicism from what a kid thinks of everything. But actually, it was really it was really fun to play Rosa because it was really fun to think about what would she do as opposed to just playing a character who has a slightly different personality from me. It was a nice stretch. I find it therapeutic to do stuff like that. It's it's nice to be innocent. The time period certainly helped the innocence too. I didn't have to think about all these things that kids now have to deal with. When you have all these sources of media and stuff, like sort of the childly wonder like crashing up against the reality. And I don't know if I would be able to do that because reality sucks. It does. And it bites. And it blows. I guess the third thing you kind of touched on it too was, uh, do you think it added more difficulty or tension? I don't know about difficulty maybe tension because that like how do we play this and not go completely overboard or terrible but we were also very careful about picking a specific age too when even though as lupine just mentioned kids today are like sort of grown up a bit quicker than they were back then but even back then kids were allowed to go places that these kids today can't go or are not allowed to go by helicopter parents or whatever. Uh, different mores, different times. Out of the days of you go play outside, be at home before the street light comes on, and then just being turned loose into the world and tolling, you know, go entertain yourself. 14 or 15 year olds in 1974 uh, had a lot of autonomy. And so it was sort of like, you know, how do we portray kids who are just becoming investigators, whether they want to or not? They're sort of old enough to figure out what's going on. One foot in adolescence, one foot in dawning adulthood. So it was a, it was a fun tightrope, I think, and hopefully we pulled that off. It'll be a little easier going forward, I think, because now you guys have some baggage. Rosa is a very different person this time. <laughs> Kyle's not, but you know. Well, you were for a minute. True. Very briefly. I hope that answers your question, Prophet of Woe. Lupine, do you have a question for Matt? I want to know what was in that note, the one at the end <laughs> that Jeremy just handed Matt. And Matt's whole demeanor changed when he read it. I just watched your face like change. The note that he handed me was basically a short thing saying, you're a mushroom person, by the way. And now that all the mushrooms are dying, you realize what's going on. So that's why it was that shift, because I did not know up until that very second what was happening. He did not tell me. So that whole minute of me going, that was that was me processing and going, well, fuck. Because after I came back at the end of that fight, I'm like, oh, well, you know, maybe it's something. Maybe I interrupted it in time and Kyle's going to make it to the next season and then he handed me that and i was like nah never mind and it all came down to the rolls i got will wheaton hard this this time someone clipped that he just said he got will wheaton hard okay so endless ocean has a question do you people prefer playing characters that can't just look up stuff on their phones in game or is that something that pisses you off Jeremy's always kind of blocked us, no signal or, you know, whatever, which makes sense because you don't want to be pulled out of the story, out of the situation all the time. But in a couple scenarios where we were able to use our phones, it did come in handy. And I don't think we overused them, but I could see how players could. 
constantly just use that to take care of everything. You know what I mean? It's nice that we couldn't because that it sort of forces you to play a person who's in the moment, who's paying attention to what they're doing. I mean, it definitely makes things more interesting when you don't have that instantaneous access to the sum of all human knowledge. You have to get a little more creative with your problem solving, and it can really help to kind of push the storytelling aspects when, again, you don't have the answer to life, the universe, and everything at your fingertips. I do prefer it when characters do not have access to look stuff up on their phone. The whole cell phone thing does kind of miff me a bit because it it is a crutch. And it's something that we tend to very quickly go to now. I think it just feels inauthentic if they can't come by the information in a more role-playing way. There's no role-playing when you're looking things up on a phone. So then it also feels unrealistic for me to step in and throw roadblocks in the way. So the whole, the whole thing is just like a lose-lose proposition. I enjoy it more when they don't have access to everything. It just gets boring. You don't. You can't make a podcast out of that. I'm sorry. How do you lockpick this door? Let me look it up on Google. Matt, uh, do you have a question for me? Moving from, I guess, what you could call an established universe into a blank canvas from, you know, where we were with the old trio into our new area here. What was that like for you? Was it, you know, really fun? Was it kind of scary? Were you nervous about how we were going to react to things, how the audience was going to receive the new world? Because I know you put a lot of work into everything that goes into this show. And it has to be, at least on some level, minorly terrifying to put something like that out there in front of everybody and just kind of let that go out into the world. To me, it's more exciting than anything else. It can be daunting, like trying, okay, so what's the angle going to be? That sort of thing. It is a risk to take all of that history and what everybody knows and loves or hates and just say, okay, 14 cases, we're moving on to a brand new cycle. That part was risky, but our fans know us. Our style didn't change. You know, it's sort of like we're still the same dumbasses. But also, like, because there was such baggage with all the other ones, the Arroyos and Roy and his wife and kids and, like, all this stuff. But also, like, a lot of things to keep in mind. Okay, I have to, like, make sure that this happens and people are going to ask, whatever happened to this character? You know, that sort of thing. But if we just, like, start over, it kind of takes care of a lot of that and allows us, we have a new player here. To me, it just made the most sense to just sort of begin again. And I really enjoyed, you know, Las Cruces learning about that California town. Try our best to portray the time frame and the people of that era. It was fun. I liked it. I'm super excited about K-16. Oh boy. Which means he's going to murder everybody. You can't kill me. I'm already dead. All right. I have a question for Lupine. What were your challenges to figure out the rhythms of our play style, or to adapt to our generally adolescent behavior. Was there, I mean, you came in, you knew us peripherally and you you knew what the podcast was and we had our you know interview session and all that stuff. But then to actually be here. I kind of felt really comfortable with you guys right off the bat. I don't know if it was because I listened to so much of the podcast before I joined and it might say something about my sense of humor, maybe, that we all sort of made the same sort of jokes. That was part of that joy for me, was that I have had to deal with groups where I haven't meshed as well. Playing with 
uh, strangers, you know, I guess that was the biggest challenge for me, deciding whether what I am inclined to do next is going to completely break the other players or Jeremy, because I've been in that situation too, where I do something and someone's like, no, that's not okay. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Gabe has already thoroughly broken Jeremy. There's not much left, really. Roy taught me uh, humility, embarrassment. I shoot the phone out of the bartender's hand. It's fine. That was actually the moment that I was like, I can play with these guys. Because that is some, that is like something that I would have done. You guys feel like buddies I'd play with. There wasn't much of a, a learning curve. Glad to hear that. All right. Uh, do you have a question for me in the chat there, Matt? Profit of Woe on YouTube says not to do with the story, but given the choice, would you prefer people watch on Twitch or on YouTube? Or would you prefer less of a live audience and more listens to the actual podcast itself? So we did this uh, early on. We didn't used to live stream. And I was pretty adamant that I did not want us to because we're much better now. Uh, we're a little more laid back. We're settled in. We're older. We're a little bit more mellow. But back then, we would sometimes fly off the handle and get pissed off at each other. Brian and I are brothers. We have a history. With that comes the ability to push each other's buttons a little bit. Once we realize, like, this is not cool, guys. We can't just, like, fucking freak out on the <laughs> on the stream. I look forward to taking part in one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. People want to see the stream, so let's do it, but let's be as professional as we possibly can be. And I think we've gotten much better at that. We've had little blooms here and there, but they haven't been nearly as bad as they were in the past. Dealing with people who want to do what maybe you didn't plan for or expect has taught me a lot. So I've been trying to do... That's why we we tried to do more yes and. I emphasized that at the beginning of each of the podcasts. Like, we just need to work towards that. Like, let's all pull in the same direction. And I think it's worked more or less. But in the good old days, I would prefer that people only listened to the finished, edited, polished podcast. Because all the warts are removed, and it's much better... A more pleasant experience. The words come back, though, if you don't keep up with them. Secondary question from Twitch chat for everybody here. Favorite type of mushroom, either to eat or in general? Jeremy, why don't you start? I'm not a mushroom guy, uh, but I've come to appreciate some of them. Um, I just don't like the spongy texture of certain types of mushrooms. I do like if they've been cooked in like butter for a long time, but in a dish, not by themselves. I love a portobello burger. Slapped with onions, tom tomatoes, and lettuce, and mm, so good. Portobellos aren't mushy because they're so thick. They're actually more bready. I'm a fan of both shiitakes and oyster mushrooms. Uh, they work really well together in pairs, especially in, um, again, I use them a lot in like ramen, especially if you can get like dehydrated mushrooms. It's a really great way to make like a quick and flavor, turn water into, you know, a broth that is a little more exciting than water. Oh, I like mushrooms. I like poking them, like when they're alive, because I'm a science nerd, and I like. Oh, cool! Look at the look at the way that the water moves and the nutrients move through the mushroom, and I'll I'll lay on my belly in the forest floor and and look at them because they're really fascinating to you know look at the spores and gills and all the 
stuff. I especially like all the colors. In terms of eating, if you if you forced me at gunpoint, I probably would. Yeah, I don't mind the flavor so much. Actually, I think the nu- that whole nutrient thing, the nutrients from the dead things is very interesting to the flavor. Like it, it imparts diff- cool flavors of different things. But also, I have this thought like, oh, I'm eating dead things. Okay, so we have a question here from Sam Bifford. What epitaph will be written on Ben's headstone. I wondered if Bifford meant Kyle's. Unless you haven't told me yet. But we're just going to take it as is. What will be written on your tombstone? Probably got a dollar. Brian, do you have a question for me? What was the, if any, most important message that you wanted to get across to your players, but you couldn't? Well, so there were two sort of hurdles that popped up that I was like, oh, shit, how do I get through this? The one thing was I thought Ben would be the one to go to deliver the thing to uh, the old guy's house. And so when it popped up that you were like not going to do that, (laughs) I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, I had to plow that night. That's right. You were gone. The player was missing in this instance. So I had to hijack Kyle as the surrogate for that. And then Kyle's response was to run. Uh, There goes that. (laughs) That guy who is going to be like the crux of figuring out the fungal <laughs> situation. But we, we managed later on to figure out a way to get you guys steered towards that. The, the other thing, of course, obviously, we already talked about it, was the, the bully. And, and actually, both times that you guys encountered the bully, it was sort of like, ooh, what are they going to do? I thought it was good that we talked him into being our friends, kind of. What happened to Randy was completely unplanned, completely unexpected. You know, it came down to dice rolls and intent. So that's why I can't write everything in advance because it changes so frequently. So there's a lot of role playing going on when we play on both sides. Contrary to popular opinion, it's none of it is scripted. I'm sorry, I lost what page we were on, guys. Where are we again? Where's my cue? Lupine, it's on page 12. Okay, from the top. Hi, welcome to the Lovecraft Tapes podcast where we're doing Q&A. Matt, do you have a question for Lupine? Given... What we've seen with Rosa and unclearly how much she cares for the the animals on her farm. Do you think that seeing what happened with the people and the goats and the mushrooms and everything, you know, kind of melting away, do you think that's going to affect how she interacts with the the farm? Is like, is it? changed her as a person like in in a way that she's you know maybe going to steer a little bit away from certain things that she enjoyed in the first season she's a very different person than at the beginning of this i was sort of thinking about it about how i want to play her differently like what she came out of those experiences learning she's gonna have trouble trusting people and maybe not even just trusting like what people say but like who people are in my head i'm sort of like calling her the new rosa you know what would the new rosa do when she like saw the goats deflating i'm excited to explore that all right uh phoenix our old friend phoenix uh they ask after watching the movie glorious which stars the incomparable J.K. Simmons as the voice of an eldritch horror. I was wondering who each of you would choose to be the voice of any of your favorite Lovecraftian elder gods. I have a funny one and a serious one. Samuel L. Jackson and then Liam Neeson, of course. Because of his huge cock? Yeah. He's got a huge chicken farm. My first go-to was Morgan Freeman. My favorite elder god is Dagon. I would definitely make... 
Morgan Freeman. He has different ways of voiceovering, and like one of his ways is like done with it all. <laughs> I feel like that would be a really good. Dagon is just like, and then they did something stupid. <laughs> And um, I just think it'd be fun to hear Chris and Chenoweth as Cthulhu. A pair that I'd love to see together reenacting uh, some of their characters are uh, the duo of Rob Paulson and Maurice, Maurice LaMarche, whom if you're a 90s kid, you will know as Pinky in the Brain. I just love the idea of like the brain is like this big menacing old one. And then you just have Pinky hanging out, just, you know, constantly provokes him and asks him stupid questions and makes him do dumb things. I'd watch that. Uh, and I would probably do Javier Bardem as the voice of uh, Dagon. And then I thought, well, Cthulhu, I would want Guillermo del Toro to be Cthulhu. He has a very distinctive voice and he has presence. And I think he could probably carry that off. So I hope that answers your question, Phoenix. Uh, that was a pretty good one. That was uh, well thought out. I like it. Uh, Lupine, do you have a question for Brian? How did you choose to play Ben the way you did? Like, how how did you choose to have him interact with the adults and then the other kids the way that you did? I thought it was very interesting. I pulled from life. I was a latchkey kid, if nobody knows what that is. You're an only child and your family works late. So you get home from school and you have a key and you get into the house, you do your chores, you prepare a snack. Sometimes you get dinner ready for when your family gets home. So I kind of pulled a little bit from that. Had to go to school in the morning by myself. They were already off to work. Almost missed the bus a couple times watching Thundercats. That independence, because knowing that he was by himself when his mom was working. So it was a lot of a, a similar similar feel for me. It felt very much like uh, Rosa and Kyle were kind of kids. And then Ben was sort of like... Little grown up. Yeah. How do you think you're in Blake? Ben differently. Did he feel like betrayed by the fact that the adults weren't there? He probably felt like he's never really been able to fully count on an adult, even his mom at times. He's definitely gonna gonna question things more when adults say them, not take them at face value and what he's told to do. And he's gonna invent a death ray. <laughs> All right, uh Crosi has a question. Is that mutant baby goat mushroom hybrid still hanging around Rose's farm? I think probably not, because I think we've established that the destruction of the with the myconazole uh, and the destruction of the root rock, that everything literally sort of dissolved, as we saw with Kyle. I would have loved a pet mutant goat baby grow. It was like a, a hive mind thing. That's when I kind of figured it out when you had the, the mushrooms coming up into a shape and then changing into a different shape. And then it's like you knew it was all being controlled by the root rock, and it was like... Once that's gone, it's the control tentacles are gone. Yeah. The mushrooms sort of reminded me of like a slime mold. But unlike a slime mold, it had a, a centralized place where it had the intelligence. I have a question for Matt. Saying goodbye to a fresh investigator on the first case seems kind of traumatic. But because Call of Cthulhu is a very dangerous game, it's not unusual to see characters meet grisly demises on the reg. How do you approach role-playing? in the Lovecraftian universe differently than in another system, knowing that your time is short to make a memorable impression on our audience. In a world where it doesn't take much to take out a character, like they're, we're all, you know, normal humans. It's a really 
delicate balancing act because on one hand you want to you know develop the personality and kind of show off who they are and make them their own unique thing but you can't do it at such a hyper accelerated rate that it comes off as you playing a character for just straight comedy i could have gone you know full 12 out of 10 on kyle and made him you know full like really dumb unaware athlete and it would have been really funny but it's a lot more fun playing characters that have a deeper layer of complexity to them and to be able to still have those fun moments like popping up after the fight and saying yeah no just give the dude a dollar but on the other hand when you you play it in that kind of balanced mode you get the the other moments like him waking up at home and getting to see that little slice of his life where he's by himself and, you know, he's wearing hand-me-down clothes and putting orange juice in his cereal because his dad didn't buy milk before he left him alone. It's tough to find that balancing point, but at the same time, that's the most fun part, to find that midpoint between playing a character that's memorable and not turning them into a clown. And for the record, I think you did a wonderful job. I do, too. At making him a clown. It was a fun character to play because I went from, you know, playing, you know, Rocky and all these older characters that had all this, you know, forethought knowledge and went to, you know, a young kid who didn't have that you know, prefrontal cortex development and had a lack of filtering. So he was just kind of, you know, what's the first thing that comes into my head? Atulia wants to know, could you break down what happened to Kyle? I'm not sure if I missed something or if it all just happened off screen. And that is the key. Uh, It did all happen off screen. Kyle was turned into a mushroom person. Uh, He stumbled across one of the quote unquote seed pods or whatever, his doppelganger in process in the clubhouse. It had attached to him and was essentially leeching him of all his stuff. And he failed a role that turned out to be deadly. And then, of course, his dad shows up. Uh, just when he is wavering between consciousness. The thing that um, infected him actually managed to begin his conversion and then run away. That's what the mountain lion was or cougar. Oh, okay. So when the dad got into the clubhouse, the thing burst from the door and ran off into the underbrush. It's not like Invasion of the Body Snatchers where the seed pods simply just become you. It's more of an infection kind of thing. Because Kyle had these wounds on him, the thing also copied those wounds. Oh my god, that all makes sense. Brian, do you have a question for Matt? When planning your next character, what will be their most important trait? And second, how many asses will they smack? Well, to answer your question in reverse order, all of them, because, you know, clearly Ben isn't going to take up the torch and start slapping asses. Someone has to. As far as important traits goes, I don't know yet. I mean, once I spend a little more time looking at where I want to take the new character... Then at some point I'll settle in on kind of direction and personality. And from there, I usually try and fill out skills in a way that makes sense. Could I, you know, always put 80 or could I always put the most points possible into spot hit? Yeah. Does it make sense for the person that I'm playing? Not always. And as advantageous as it would to, you know, always have a lot of points into, you know, spot hidden and listen. It's a lot more fun to to distribute those points 
into other lesser used skills because every now and then you get one of those moments where you're like, wait, I can roll for that. And it just opens up a lot more opportunities for for unique scenarios and unique things to happen that might not have happened otherwise had you just, you know, spent points in the most min maxi way possible. Keep smacking asses, man. Oh, we have a question here from I Swing a Bit More. Hey, everyone. Got one for all players in Jeremy. These new investigators are a breath of fresh air. And although no investigator is guaranteed to last, some have stood the test of time and gone for several chapters. What do you hope to see for your investigator achieve? And what are you excited to see this group get up to in the future as they grow together or maybe even apart? Well, my goal is to become part of Hive Mind. I mean, it didn't turn out too well for Kyle, but if you want to give it a go, go right ahead. Maybe, maybe Rosa and Kyle will be playing in the mushrooms, frolicking in the mushrooms. I want to learn more magic. I want to make it more than one case without dying. Let's start there and we'll we'll build out. I have a really stupid goal called I want Rosa to become Buffy and just be totally jaded and totally like, I hate everyone and uh, I'm going to kick some ass. Kyle's going to slap him. I'm going to kick him. Matt, do you have a question for Brian? Considering what Ben has been through this season, especially in terms of dealing with strangers and new people, how do you think he's going to react when a new person just kind of shows up and immediately tries to insert themselves into the group, maybe in a way that might be seen by the other two as trying to take over for Kyle? Well, I'll probably stab them with a pitchfork just to make sure they're not a mushroom. I need to see you bleed. Probably just test you a bit more than I normally would. Suss you out. Make sure you're a genuine person who's there to be yourself no ulterior motives uh lupine do you have a question for me what's the scenario we're playing and what's the solution yeah right how you win did you write differently based on the fact that i pushed that roll and fumbled (laughs) the one at the hot springs that's when you got infected i kind of assumed that somebody would get infected Right? Because the dangers were increasing all the time. I did not think it was going to be you. You didn't take into account my chaos. I was 100% sure you were going to kill me. You were on track to become a fungal thing if things hadn't really panned out and you hadn't like picked up the signals and done something stupid like run away. Then you would have been in really bad situation. Thankfully, you just killed Kyle. So I didn't need to rewrite anything, really. It was just like, oh shit, it's Rosa. I played right into your hands. Fortunately for you, those NPCs played right into Kyle's ass-slapping hand, so you know. I hope that answers your question. And I got the uh, last question here for Brian. Ben went through a lot this scenario, emotionally and physically. As he enters high school as a freshman, how do you think this experience will color his interactions with other students and potential new friends? I think that's going to probably be the biggest change. He always would pull back and always look for the route, easiest way out of a room, out of a situation. I think it's not necessarily confidence. It's more so you can't do anything worse to me than what I've gone through this past summer. It's not going to bother me whatever you do to me. So if there's a bully situation or anything like that, it's going to pale in comparison to losing my friend. Well, guys, that's going to be it for this episode of the Lovecraft Tapes and for this case. This is the end of Case 15. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you prefer. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review. Meanwhile, visit lovecrafttapes.com for up-to-date information about our podcast and subscribe to our live streams at twitch.tv slash lovecrafttapes or youtube.com slash lovecrafttapes. You can chat with me anytime in real time at discord.lovecrafttapes.com. 
And if some of you have made the migration out there to the great open wide Fediverse, uh, you can hit me up on Mastodon at the Real Weird Kid. If you want to talk about slime molds, I actually don't know that much about slime molds. I'll I'll talk about them, but I don't really know that much. But you can find me at a uh, link. Slash uh, you can find me at uh, benaintakingshit.biz. Drop me a line. Until next time, roll four s'mores. Mm, hot, scalding marshmallows in your mouth, burning your tongue in the roof of your mouth. Mm. You gotta set them on fire. You take a bite and it squirts down your throat by accident. You gotta go to the hospital because you have second degree burns in your esophagus. You feel like you're being tortured by Mongols. But the nurse is attractive, so that works. A little awkward when you get a stiffy when she checks you out, but you know. The Lovecraft Tapes Podcast is copyright 2023. For more information and sponsorship opportunities, please send email to podcast at thelovecrafttapes.com. Support the Lovecraft Tapes Podcast and get access to exclusive content and rewards at patreon.com slash lovecrafttapes.